This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. Iron Source are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. But what is attribution platform? Why do we need it? And why is AppsFlyer the best in the business? Brian Murphy, head of games at AppsFlyer. Can you answer these questions? Sure. Uh, right now, marketing budgets are being impacted. Uh, so the need for strong attribution and measurement partners is critical. Marketers should be focusing on what's working best. So mobile measurement and attribution partners who help provide uh, those insights are even more important. Mobile attribution platforms determine which campaigns, partners, and channels delivered each app install. And marketers rely on these insights to measure and optimize their marketing performance for both user acquisition and retargeting campaign. With 1 trillion in-app events measured each month, AppsFlyer is the most robust technology platform and mobile measurement partner for any game developer to distribute and engage their application to a worldwide consumer base. Our scale and data insights provide customers with the unique ability to make informed marketing decisions. In short, AppsFlyer gives you the data and tools to market your games effectively. So there you have it, folks. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself one of the best attribution platforms out there. Hey everybody, welcome to Twig95. We've got myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, Eric Kress, and we have back on with us this week, Kenny Liu taking the place of Mishka Katkoff. How's it going, guys? What is going on for you guys this past week or morning or whatever? Not much. I got nothing, dude. It's like Groundhog Day. When you're like sheltered home, it's like... You know, every day is the freaking same. The days blend together. Yeah, it's so crazy. I just lose track of everything. Uh, this is, I think, the slowest year I've ever had in my whole life. Like, it is just painfully slow to me anyway. Um, and hopefully it's over soon. But my kids are not going to school, obviously. You know, the private school tuition is not helping the cause. And they have to stay at home. And so I'm paying all this money for homeschooling, which sucks. And they're so upset. My daughter's like in eighth grade. So it's like the worst, one of the worst possible years. I guess senior year in high school would be worse. But eighth grade, she wants to say goodbye to all of her friends over nine years. And she's going to be stuck at home. Sad. Very sad. All right. Well, maybe we could just roll straight into updates. And so for me, first update that is that Wall Street Journal is reporting Animal Crossing New Horizons sold more than 10 million copies between April and June. Profit in the quarter, typically a quiet period in an industry that relies on holiday season sales, increased by more than six times from a year earlier to $1 billion. So that was actually the best April through June figure since 2008 when the Nintendo Wii was at the height of its popularity. Second update, 
Manticore, the sandbox creation platform maker, announced support for a Dungeons and Dragons framework allowing creators to create dungeons using their platform called Core. They also announced a $20,000 contest for the best dungeon design. So definitely, in my opinion, I don't know if any of you guys have tried like Roll20.net, but this sounds like something that is uh, a lot cooler than anything else out there. So hopefully they're successful in making that work. Third update, according to Crunchbase News, Epic Games has raised a total of $1.78 billion in funding. And Crunchbase notes that this funding brings Epic's valuation to $17.3 billion. The implication here was that the valuation is post-money, but it's not really clear. Final update for anyone that listened to last week's twig, Adam explained the advantages of having a competitive HD shooter run at 120 frames per second. Well, guess what? 90 frames per second is coming to mobile for PUBG. It'll be exclusive to OnePlus phones for a month and then roll out to any phone that supports 90 hertz or 120 hertz from September 7th. And apparently something I didn't know is that Fortnite also had 90 frames per second support, but with lower graphical quality since May. And Adam, I'll have you know that I did order my 144 hertz monitor so I can see exactly what you're talking about uh, later this week. Yeah, and it's I'm, I'm going to blame you, right? I, I'm going to blame all of my Call of Duty Warzone deaths on the monitor. So yeah. <laughs> it's, not, know, it's not skill; like, it's, it was a monitor. You can't I, you shoot. Know, 144 hertz is not going to save you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Our old ass like response to stuff is not going to be helped by a 144 hertz monitor. Jesus, you know that's like for like super high end like competitors, right? There's a huge difference in that front, but not like and on mobile phones. Who cares? No, no, no. Well, okay. Well, the 144 hertz is mainly for like playing Apex and Warzone on PC, right? Right. Uh, but what, I don't know. I'd like to try it with this 90 frames per second on mobile. But then again, like it's so hard to shoot using mobile to begin with. I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah the precise controls, like it, it wouldn't help. Well, I guess it could help, I guess, to some. Anyway, it doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. All yeah, right. I, I got one of those like weird China controllers that like uses the touch screen, but you actually feel a controller instantly made the games so much better <laughs> well oh that's the oh that's the cool thing i've been actually seeing right now and part of the reason i bet we start to see a little bit more uh uptick on or maybe this is old news and maybe i'm just becoming aware of it is that you can just get controllers on the ipad and the iphone like really easily right it's like a it's a definitely an option right so maybe in that world in which people are playing more on ipads yeah. and iphones that this would make a difference with a controller. I don't know, but yeah, that's without, uh, that's old news. Uh, that was like what was it two years ago that they got the PlayStation? Was it really the that long ago? Because yeah, it's awesome not. to be honest. Like being able to play like console games on your iPad, really, really nice. Well, we'll get to it later, but the, clearly Apple's not making that happen with XCloud, right? <laughs> no. Anyway, you, you can play <laughs> Apple Arcade games with your controller. Yeah, I know. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Good job, Apple. Uh, they really care about gaming. Um, all right, my first snarky update is uh, Glue Mobile is now trading at $7.30 or something like that from its high of $10.50. And the stock is basically getting crushed uh, because of exactly what Jeff and I have been saying. We may have been a little bit early, I suppose. But basically what happened was they pushed out Deer Hunter. Um, they likely are canceling the originals, which never made sense to begin with. Um, and the big thing is that they're using most of the upside they saw for COVID and spending more money in Q3 and Q4 uh, for marketing. And they had previously said they would not need to do that, right? And what, what both Jeff and I have been saying all along is that 
they are just basically kicking the can down the road where they are spending all this money now and getting the short-term revenue bump, but that's not going to help them over the long term. So ultimately, if COVID didn't happen, they would have been in deep, deep, deep trouble. But now the uh, overhang is happening and they're kind of screwed. Um, so in essence, they basically maintain their revenue guidance, which is good, right? But they also, they brought down profitability guidance, which is exactly what both Jeff and I were saying. So we will see kind of an Armageddon for them over the next three quarters uh, because I don't perceive things getting any better. UA costs are going to continue to go up. IDFA is going to kick in. Um, their titles are getting long in the tooth. Disney seems to be rolling over. <laughs> Baseball is, is actually in the decline, right? It's actually down year on year if you actually look at like to like. Um, so the only thing that seems possible is somehow they pull out deer hunter, but that, actually that doesn't seem possible. The only actual real way that they can actually come out with this alive is if they uh, do some kind of acquisition that they can point to as some, you know, future hope for them. But even then at this level, I don't know if they can do that. And then they also have this Crowdstar game next year, which is going to be, I believe a hybrid of a puzzle and, and like a play Rex thing. Uh, and I don't know if they have the uh, chops to do that, frankly, and, and that market is relatively saturated. So I think they're in for a world of hurt, but we shall see if they can pull it off. Um, uh, I just have three quick updates this week. So IDFA, um, the plot is thickening around that. So Eric Suford actually caught some fine print in iOS 14 and tweeted it out this week um, because it looks like Apple is actually exempting its own ad network from the IDFA related privacy changes. Um, so as you'd expect. Uh, so with iOS um, 14, they still have their Apple ads personalization, but uh, all other ads are still um, <laughs> you know, Adam, 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 you know how much I love you, right? And respect yeah. you. Yeah. But that, if this is true and you actually believe this to be true, that's like fucking insane. You know, you should be saying it with more like inflection, right? Like that is fucking insane that they would actually do something like that. You know, this is why you're <laughs> on the podcast. And <laughs> Dude, it's, as I've said, it's diabolical right now. I have actually heard the same rumor and i think it was from eric to be honest i i don't think they like ads i i don't even think this is i don't know i don't think this is part part of the calculus for them to be honest i think i think they're taking he's taking a little bit too far but man you got to have some inflection in your voice when you say these dun 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 things you know you can't just let that go okay well here's here's a huge inflection fall guys on steam right huge news this week <laughs> Uh, it's this actually ridiculous casual battle royale game. Um, so it's on Steam and PlayStation. Was free on PlayStation Plus. Uh, reached like 1.5 million units in 24 hours. It's actually a super fun game. Uh, it won't. It probably won't sustain, but it's actually a stupidly fun game. So I highly recommend it. Um, also Brawlhalla, which is the Ubisoft, I would say Smash Smash Brothers like game, um, just launched on mobile. Um, which is kind of a big test about these like super hyper D-pad, hyper control style games, right? Like, I don't know how you'd be able to play Smash Bros on mobile, but Brawlhalla is going to give it a shot. So we'll take a look. Kenny? Yeah, well, I also didn't know how you would play like fighting games on mobile until those fighting games came out. And they seem to be, some of them seem to be doing okay. So it'll be interesting to see like how, how they transition um, Brawlhalla though. Um, excited for that. I, I've been following it on console. 
Uh, for me, the primary update I have for um, uh, uh, for th for this week is basically the Chinese government has been trying to stop kids from playing too many video games for years. Um, and, you know, they've been restricting people under 18 years old to 90 minutes on weekdays and three hours on weekends. It seems like now the regulators are taking, you know, another step further by making sure anybody who wants to play a game must log in with their real names. So they're rolling out a state-run authentication system uh, by September. And so, you know, in the past, we've had uh, players like, sorry, we've had um, Tencent and NetEase, companies, you know, the dominant players in uh, China when it comes to the gaming industry, uh, having a jump on these plans by introducing their own versions of verification systems. So, for example, in China's number one mobile MOBA, um, Tencent's Honor of Kings or King of Glory has a verification system that includes a facial recognition scan. Um, I think it's interesting that the government mandated um, requirement is not a mandatory facial recognition. And if it's just names, it makes smurfing or quote unquote, um, making alternate accounts easier. Uh, to date, some Chinese kids have already sought using fake IDs or even going to smartphone cafes, which is the mobile equivalent of PC cafes. So instead of uh, PCs everywhere, just imagine a bunch of smart smartphones tethered everywhere, which are actually quite popular in China. Um, but they've used these to bypass verification already. Um, and this isn't new in Asia broadly. So in Korea for, for a very long time, uh, players have had to link their country's social security number equivalent uh, to their game accounts. Um, and what's interesting is that having worked at Nexon in the past, you know, I remember, uh, I recall something, some crazy statistics saying that like a game like Maple Story, which um, saw at one point close to, I would say maybe upwards of 90% penetration of the domestic Korean market if you just look at SSN's um, social security numbers by themselves. But this is because grandpas and grandmas weren't really playing, but you know their grandkids were using their names and the other names in their family to create alternate accounts instead of paying money. Um, so the long-term kind of uh, second and third or third order effects of this are hard to say. You know, will we see Chinese mobile game developers shift their design to encourage shorter session lengths? Are they just going to add a bunch of more game modes that are um, uh, more bite-sized so that you can squeeze in every last possible minute if you have five, three, one minute left to play? Um, and in a digital gaming environment in which anonymity and heterogeneity does not exist, what does that mean for social interactions in the long term? Is it possible for new types of games to flourish that otherwise would be impossible in, for example, the United States, where toxicity just runs rampant due to the existence of both um, uh, anonymity and a heterogeneous society? So, uh, yeah, we'll sit, stay tuned. Okay, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but once we come back, we will be talking first, Apple blocking Project xCloud and Stadia because they can't review every game by gamesindustry.biz. Second, Zynga acquires hyper-casual game maker Rollick for $168 million, and they are rollicking in money after only a year. And finally, why indies are struggling to be seen on the Switch eShop by MCV Develop. All of that coming up once we're back from the commercial break. So stay tuned. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. The big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, 
brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and SKU planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends. And one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of BetaHat. BetaHat is the best CI team in the industry. Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. Welcome back from the commercial break and let's start the news. All right, so just rolling into the news, the first news item we're gonna cover is Apple blocking Project xCloud and Stadia because it can't review every game. So this is reported by gamesindustry.biz and essentially uh, last week, Microsoft canceled the iOS test for xCloud over a month early and that test was limited to one game and 10,000 users. And now Apple has revealed that the limits were due to Apple, the Apple review process. And so gamesindustry.biz notes that Google has run into similar obstacles with Stadia as well. And Microsoft has responded to Apple accusing the company of applying stricter limitations to games as compared to other categories. So in a statement to Windows Central, Microsoft said, our testing period for the Project xCloud preview app for iOS has expired. Unfortunately, we do not have a path to bring our vision of cloud gaming with Xbox Game Pass Ultimate to gamers on iOS via the Apple App Store. Apple stands alone as the only general purpose platform to deny consumers from cloud gaming and game subscription services like Xbox Game Pass. And it consistently treats gaming apps differently, applying more lenient rules to non-gaming apps, even when they include interactive content." End quote. So I think my take on this is that it's unusual for companies to openly criticize Apple unless you're Tim Sweeney or Eric Kress. So, you know, things have got to be really bad if Microsoft is openly criticizing Apple like this. And in related news, Facebook launched Facebook Gaming on iOS without instant games, which is sort of like launching Netflix without movies, right? So unless I'm missing something, got to think Facebook Gaming is also highly challenged. What, what do you guys think? Dude, this is like, I keep using the word Ragnarok. Maybe Ragnarok's not the right version. These, these are like gloves are off, right? I, this is all Facebook against Apple, against Google, against, you know, Microsoft. This is like the tech giants just warring it out, you know, on the front lines, I think. You know, the, the canned response of Apple is that the submission, they would have to actually review every game that was on the service is ridiculous, is absolute bullshit, right? I mean, there's standard boards that exist at every level for, you know, the ESRB and there's the equivalents of different jurisdictions. And then does Netflix have to like, you know, show uh, Apple every piece of content to get reviewed? Fuck no, that, that doesn't happen. It's, it's, like, it's, it's obscene that, that that's their kind of response. So I don't even know what the exact issue here is, but you know, it could be that they simply want to get their 30%, their pound of flesh, you know, but Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, they don't require that, right? You know, are they being anti-consumer as all the Xbox fanboys seem to think? I don't think that's it either, right? They're not trying to block access per se. They say you can do it actually on Safari or Chrome. Um, but I guess maybe, or is it like the fact they want to maintain control over the, the content that's delivered on the platform? Uh, but again, that's not really consistent with, you know, there are other content providers like Netflix. And I think fundamentally, I think it's just this complete competition between these big, big guys and uh, that they feel Microsoft and Google are competitors and Facebook is a competitor and they want to make sure they're limiting, propping up their competitors as much as possible on the platform and controlling their closed network. 
Um, and the more and more of this crap that keeps going on, I think I'm moving to Sweeney's camp, you know? <laughs> I think he's right. We should be boycotting Apple. This is ridiculous, right? They're like a bully, right? And they're masquerading their anti-competitive behavior under the guise of privacy and consumer protection, full stop. I mean, that seems to be what's going on. And these methods are ruthless, you know? They don't really give a crap about partners or publishers. Um, so I guess, you know, my moral here is that it's important to understand these motivations of, of partners and platforms. You know, Apple is making it pretty clear where their loyalty lies with the consumer and their products, and certainly not with their content and publishing partners. Um, you know, Microsoft, Sony, Steam, even Epic, even Google are much better partners in the end. And obviously, we'll get to Nintendo later, which I think is in the same camp as Apple, frankly. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm not saying don't work with Apple but just buyer beware, you know, the powers that be don't really care about publishers or partners. And despite what these publisher relations type people and these low level people at Apple are telling you, it seems that they just are, just don't give a shit about anybody that's delivering content on their platform. Um, you know, am I missing something here or, you know, what is the big threat for Apple that they seem to be unable to or unwilling to partner with people like Google and Microsoft and, and others. Anybody have any I other ideas? Well, I mean, on the flip side, you could argue that Apple is just so concerned about quality. And I, I will say that there have been a lot of cases in the past where studios and publishers have slipped through a lot of, whether it's explicit content, fake apps, you know, kind of advertising and different things. They've, they've kind of slipped, tried to slip some of this stuff through. So, I could kind of see the argument on the Apple side. I can also see your argument, Eric. So, yeah, I mean, like, like the way I was thinking about this is like, if if I were Apple, like if you allowed something like xCloud to come and Microsoft decides all of a sudden we're we're partnering with YouPorn to bring as much porn content to xCloud as possible, and so you're going to sneak into their ecosystem with a bunch of porn content, right? I mean, okay, that's possible, right? That's possible. This is fucking Microsoft though, right? This is not, it's a game system, you know? Like if, if it's a content issue, I, I, that it doesn't make sense. Like they, but they even are above Microsoft, Even Microsoft's not that great with content. Like I, I just bought Rogue Company. The game doesn't even work, right? <laughs> like it just crashes but at every- but Again, beside the point, right? Th those issues could be resolved as we go, right? You don't make a blanket statement that you're not allowed on this platform for whatever freaking reason, and then come out with some bullshit excuse of not being able to review things. Like all these games are reviewed. Every piece of content that comes on Microsoft platform is reviewed by Microsoft, ESRB, and other, 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 other places, right? And so, and, and the same thing with Netflix. Like there, there's no equivalence. I mean, it is, sorry, they're not treating them the same way, right? For obvious reasons, right? They don't consider Netflix as a competitor, but certainly Microsoft, Sony, and the rest are, are competitors, right? Um, but at the end of the day too, like they, they're not even treating gaming companies the same way because like with Steam, they, like they finally got Steam Link through the review process last year, right? Where now you can play any Steam game through the cloud on your own device. And they don't have to review every game that goes on the Steam right now. Oh, I didn't even know that. Right? That's even more diabolical, right? <laughs> like, the only thing that Steam had to do was remove the ability to purchase other games from within Steam Link. So when you're streaming it to your device, you can't start purchasing games on Steam. So that was the only change that they had to make. So I'm wondering like here, this is Xbox Game Pass where there's not even an ability to buy games, I'm assuming. 
or or is that the only thing is that they just have to remove the ability to purchase because it's the same thing with what is it kindle like within the kindle app you can't be buying books from amazon um within the kindle app on your ios right oh is that the only thing that apple's asking for here yeah but if that was all it was it would be easy fix for them particularly for stadia exactly Yeah, so yeah. that can't, I don't think that could be it. I actually, I should have downloaded the beta, frankly. I, just, I didn't have a chance, but. Um, yeah, like right anyway, now I can stream Steam games to my phone. What, what's the difference now to xCloud? I mean, Apple's just laying down the gauntlet here. Like one thing after another, they are just going after them, you know? And, 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 and they're the benevolent, you know, you know, consumer privacy people, right? And so tech journalists, like Kara Swisher and all those guys are basically lauding them as the most, the most amazing company on the planet versus the evils of Facebook and Google. But I don't know what Apple's doing is just seems, you know, really bad for the ecosystem, right? Overall, like if that platform is so super closed now, you're right. I'm actually becoming Sweeney now. Let's boycott Apple, dude. Enough of this bullshit. (laughs) This sounds like a topic uh, suited for a rant cast during Gamescom. <laughs> oh, oh, and one correction, Joe. I think you mentioned Facebook gaming app. So I think that one is actually, that's the... It, it's just been approved. Facebook yeah, gaming. like it just got approved, but it's all about streaming. So it's not like, oh, with oh, right? games, there's nothing. Yeah. Like, okay. there's, it's Mixer, right? Like they, they pull yeah. the Mixer. Oh, is that right? So yeah, that's, that's even worse that I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, you weren't really so, watching Twitch daily, were you? <laughs> good, okay. good correction, though, Adam. Yeah. Uh, let's move forward. So uh, Zynga acquires hyper-casual game maker Rolik for $168 million. Um, so Zynga is buying 80% of Rolik for the 168 up front and will buy the rest over the next three years based on hitting performance goals. Um, Zynga actually currently has about 1.6 billion in cash and equivalent. So it's not like this is breaking the bank at all. This is pretty small. Um, but then when looking at like who Rolik is and what value there is, I, I, I had never actually heard of them before this, right? Um, roughly about 32 employees on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm going to completely mess up their names, but I'm going to try anyways. Uh, Barack Vardal and Dennis, Denise Bessaran um, and May. Mehmet Khan Yavuz. I don't know. I can't say these names. <laughs> Yavuz? Mario. Mehmet Yavuz. Okay. Um, so uh, Barack and Denise, Dennis, uh, both came from Ad Colony um, and were responsible for the programmatic marketplace over there and had a growth. Um, they were, this company was actually founded last year, right? Like June 2019 in Istanbul. So just over a year, they've been acquired for 168. So. Uh, huge kudos to those guys. Uh, and I apologize for destroying your names. Um, anyway, so Sensor Tower kind of marked them as kind of building roughly about 33 games, very hyper-casual. Um, likely there's a lot more with a lot of hidden labels. Um, but within that time, they brought 11 games to the number one spot in the US, which is pretty impressive for hyper-casual. And are right now roughly getting about 70%, 75% of the volume of downloads on a month-to-month basis compared to Lion Studios, that app loving studio, and roughly about 30% of the volume of Voodoo. So that kind of gives you the, the, the sense. Like within a year, they definitely have grown substantially um, and are in the, the top leaderboards of uh, hyper-casual developers. Their big hits, Tangle Master 3D, Picker 3D, and Go Nuts 3D. Uh, I haven't played any of these, but um, they seem to have driven a lot of downloads. 
So to me, this is a head scratcher. Like uh, this doesn't feel like forever franchises. This feels like them investing in a sinking sand business model. Because you really, within this business model, you really are only as good as the last hit you had. And it's really just about pumping games up the charts nearly, nearly weekly and kind of scouring the world for indie developers that are looking for that lottery ticket to reach the top of the app store. Um, and on top of this, there's just a ton of headwinds right now for hyper-casual developers. I think IDFA overall will diminish ad revenue and just make it harder to scale. And I think... IDFA, as we've reported before, is going to be hurting both ends of the spectrum of gaming. So hyper core games, so like 4X games, as well as hyper casual. Um, those are the big ones that uh, experts are calling for IDFA really diminishing their businesses. So why did this happen? Um, I don't really know the details. So this is really coming from Nebo from, from Network. So IDFA will deprecate, but IDFV, which is the vendor, will not. So while IDFA kills access to target ads within other games, a publisher can, say, acquire another company, pull them into their own vendor ID, and then have access to a massive DAU and actually do targeted advertisements on that audience, all within their, their vendor. So likely in the same vein as this ID, you, as this deal, you might see other top hybrid or hyper-casual devs get snapped up. So Game Jam, Popcore um, would be two ones that I'd be looking at. Um, Eric also calls us out on the Deconstructive Fund Ragnarok post. So if this is the case, the value I think really hinges on three things. One is that the vendor ID is actually transferable um, because right now Rolik and Zynga are actually separate companies in the eyes of the App Store. So I'm not really 100% sure if they can actually share everything, full access to all data. Um, so number two would be DA, uh, the DAU would actually sustain. And I think hyper-casual model typically does not support strong retention or lasting CPI. These games shoot to the top but quickly CPI grows too high for them to sustain. Um, so likely why the purchase price is only based on like a three year performance or at least 20% of it is because yeah, this, this could fall apart very, very quickly if the team does not invest in fine new games. Right. And like really my sense here is I would be looking more for hybrid casual games. So that's say uh, games closer to our Chero ones that have that lower CPI, but actually can sustain through better, um, live operations and live content, uh, but still have that high organic share. But lastly, number three is really cross-promotion being effective um, with IDFV, right? So from my point of view, cross-promotion is about as effective as running ads in another game. So click-through rates and install rates don't really change. So likely, Zynga looks at this effectively buying ad inventory in games that attract their players. So hopefully they looked at the ad traffic sources that they have for the key games and decided that these games, this not 3D and stuff, is actually where the players they want hang out. So I wouldn't say this is new for Zynga. Like they acquired, what was it, Harpen, which is that two-man team creating like a crazy viral solitaire game for like 42 and a half million a while back. And they also acquired Peak's card game portfolio previously. So I'm assuming those are very similar acquisitions where they're trying to acquire basically ad inventory to pull players into their actual games. And I don't know how effective these acquisitions were at that time. Uh, Joe, any ideas? I can confirm just talking to a few folks that IDFV is transferable. So really, I think it's going to be, you know, how, how much of the so sure, I think there is a case to be made that with IDFV that you're going to have access to a fairly 
broad audience, especially in terms of the reach that uh, these guys seem to have gotten, but the actual effectiveness and the ability to to target these guys remains to be seen. So it is a little bit of a head scratcher, but I would say that the one other possibility, and again, I'm not, I'm not claiming this is the case, but you know, in terms of another reason why Zynga might be doing this is basically potentially black ops marketing. And so look, just to be clear, I don't know Rollick at all. I just know they're rollicking in cash right now, but I am familiar with black, oh, black ops marketing. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, some of this stuff in terms of black ops strategies, infrastructure, some takes years to build out, but you can use this stuff to push apps high on app store charts. And this is stuff you can't run in the States, but you could potentially run elsewhere like Turkey or China or Vietnam or wherever. So I would say that that might for a public company, very risky. So that might not be the reason, but yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Wait, what is black ops marketing for the I'll, I'll tell you offline later. <laughs> All right. So I'm a little bit confused here as well. I think uh, this really doesn't make a lot of sense strategically for me, for, for them. This, this is kind of against their, uh, the strategies of the last couple acquisitions. From a financial perspective, it's a no-brainer. You know, $100 million of revenue and 20% EBIT is kind of what the estimates are out there, kind of what they implied. That's our six, six or seven times EBIT. They're trading at 25 times. So EBIT arbitrage is there. Um, so they're getting it cheap um, and compare, you know, comparing that to real game companies, you know, they're selling for 10 to 12 times EBIT. I mean, it's a pretty good discount. But strategically, I really just don't know. I'm not obviously a huge fan of hyper casual um, and hyper casual seems to be on their way down. But, you know. And the $100 million they're getting is not necessarily reliable in a post-IDFA world, uh, given the ad, ad rates will probably decline. So I have to agree with Adam here. I think this is the opposite of a forever franchise. This is like forever releasing franchises. <laughs> so it's like, hopefully I'm, I'm gonna get to the bottom of this because I need to understand this from, the pers from their perspective. So hopefully I'll have some kind of better insights uh, next week. Yeah, you gotta think it's either they're betting on the way IDFV is going to work or it's black ops, one or the other. I, it's got to be one of those two, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I guess so. And I, I've been, I, I'm, I'm under the understanding that, yeah, people are going to start consolidating their entire uh, app database. Because once you consolidate, you can use IDFV across all your different brands, et cetera, et cetera. So that, sh that could be part of the strategy, I imagine. But they're not, see, the thing is that this acquisition was likely discussed months ago, right? Before IDFA became a thing. Like, it's not like they just, this, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe it turned around that fast. I don't know. But it's like, I don't even know if Zynga management knows what IDFA is until like a couple of months ago, right? So, you know what I mean? So, well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll try to get some more insights on this. All right, moving on. Basically, there's, there was an article. This is like really one of those sad, sad, sad articles in my view. And um, because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, because basically the, the title was, I literally cannot sell units on Switch. It's heartbreaking and it makes me really sad for the eShop, right? And so these are just, these indie developers just bemoaning the fact that the Switch is a terrible platform for them, even though it was lauded as like, the second coming for uh, indie games. So I'm gonna kind of do a, a lot of quoting from this guy because I think his words are probably better than my, my own snarky words. So 
basically the article discusses why switch is potentially was potentially an amazing platform for indies you know it's extremely doing well on the hardware side with 60 million units sold and the portability makes it a great place for indies and also because of the limitations of the hardware it's not a great place for AAA games. Um, so poten the potential there is for much more indie content. But he says the issues are, look, lack of discovery on the eShop. Um, there's lack of pages on the eShop that to, for, to be featured. Uh, there's a huge deluge of content, of, of just tons of content that, that you're competing against. And finally, the lack of support from Nintendo, which is no surprise. Um, so the article talks about the only way to actually get noticed on these stores to drive these insane sales, like, and the, the top of the charts are basically the most downloads from the last two weeks. So the incentive is basically to do a deep discount in order to get, get uh, on the feature page. And the author says, you know, I really hate it. I try to scream at game devs all, devs all the time. Don't devalue your work. Don't deep discount, right? Because that's, they're forced to because the only way to get any type of featuring. So he says, the way it's going now, I reckon in around a year's time, the eShop is going to look like the App Store. Tons of cheap looking game titles that were clearly thrown together in the space of a few months, all selling at a dollar a piece. And everyone trying to make an honest living on Switch won't be able to be to anymore. I can't imagine how else this is gonna, going to go. The truth is, this further quoting, the truth is it wasn't obvious how badly set up the store was at first, but once the floodgates opened, it became incredibly obvious very quickly why the store wasn't going to work in the developer's favor. The eShop wasn't built for discovery. It was built to be a catalog of games. So that's exactly what it is. And realistically, you need to know that the game you're looking for before you even boot the store up so you can search for it. I don't see that changing anytime soon, <laughs> says Rose. Okay, anyway. So I've been saying this since the get-go. I've been saying the stores on all the consoles are pretty fucking terrible, okay? Nintendo is by far the worst. I mean, with even worse than the App Store, if that's possible, right? And what I love is to hear the honest feedback on the front lines, right? These are issues are huge problem for indies. The design of the eShop is ridiculous. And the result is like 70 or 80% of the revenue being driven by this Nintendo is on the eShop is Nintendo, right? And it's similar to what we see with full game sales. And so, and the, and the problem is, I think we have an issue here with the reporting because I think that what they say, they focus on the units sold as, as opposed to dollars sold. And so that may actually favor the Indies a little bit more, but ultimately, ultimately dollars are donuts. The dollar sales are dominated by Nintendo by like 80%. And let me tell you why. Nintendo does not give a crap about third-party publishers, full stop. Okay, they have consistently been the worst partner compared to Microsoft and Sony. Only Apple is probably worse in terms of looking after third parties. But at least Apple was very helpful when they needed game companies to grow their platform. Nintendo was never, never needed third party. They do everything to push their own products on their platform. And this makes all the sense in the world for Nintendo, of course, right? But I remember all the press coverage when the Switch came out saying, oh, this is the last haven for indies. It's gonna be amazing for indie gaming. It's going to create an onslaught of games, you know, in the game store that are going to support the small developers. But people have ignored the fact that Nintendo has always been focused on their own stuff. They don't need third-party content. This is just a bonus for them, you know, generally speaking. And the Switch is even worse than the, the Wii, you know, 80% versus 50 for the Wii. Um, so the culture is changing. So maybe there is some hope and perhaps they will start, uh, Nintendo will start to embrace third party going forward. But I see no evidence that that is actually happening. Frankly, 
their ongoing strategies pushing them to the more direction of focus, focusing on their own content and not third party as they expand their brands in, in, in t television, amusement parks and movies and potential other platforms. So I guess the warning here is look, historical patterns of behavior matter, right? What are their motivations? Do they really need your product to be succeed? Is, is building this business going to be material for them at all? So if you, before you start spending money, these indies on, on platforms, make sure that the, that the platform is, is, is out for you, right? So things like Steam, even Microsoft and Sony are a much better partner because they care about indies to some degree, at least as a bullet point on their, on their consoles. But Apple and Nintendo, they don't give a shit about you guys, it just in general, right? At the high level and, and their, their longer term strategy. So anyway, buyer beware when you start building for platforms like this. And frankly, I don't think the Switch is gonna get any better because we just get more and more content and they may fix the store, but even by then it's gonna be too late, right? Years from now. So anyway, what do you think, Adam? Uh, you said 50% 50, 50 of total revenue was made from third parties during the Wii years? Yes. So this and then now the, it's now it's eighty percent Nintendo, twenty percent third party. Correct. Wow. Correct. That's, that's so, pretty telling. So the we the we I've done a lot of work on this. So the Wii was really interesting because it was the most broadly supported Nintendo platform ever, really. And a lot of it was, but a lot of it was like uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, Toys to Life and Guitar Hero, Rock Band, and 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 the dance games, etc. So it was very heavily concentrated. Just to be honest, though. Um, but the reason that, that the Wii lasted and was ex as long as it did and, and, and um, continued was primarily because of third-party support. The third party actually got better over time. For the Switch, is exact opposite. It's like it's getting worse over time for third party. Third parties just are not competing on the Switch, full stop. So. Yeah, I think it'll be telling when, <laughs> when actual first-party new games just stop coming to the platform, right? Um, because I would say that this is the same case, not just for indies, but also for major publishers. Um, I, I think like the the eShop is pretty broken. Um, it, it really does need to improve in terms of discoverability. And really that just comes down to the number of slots, um, featuring slots on the platform. Um, but I will say that like, as a power user from like day one, I, I, I do have to agree. Um, overall, Nintendo did take some steps forward to make, third party, you know, better with this generation, especially for indies. Like they, you know, made it so that developing on the switch without a dev kit was possible. It was a lot less obtrusive to actually submit your game to a store. Um, so you could, as an indie actually submit to Nintendo. Um, and they actually added them to the direct and direct minis, but like none of this matters if discoverability in your shop is pretty broken, which it is. Um, and I think it's very similar to a lot of those console shops. Like these shops are just not really built for browsing and finding content, right? Um, this is not even the, the potential in the UX. Um, so I, I've just seen this argument a million times before. And I think this is actually very close to like the Apple app store back when, remember, everybody would just be dropping their game to 99 cents to shoot it up the charts, to hope that they could sustain on that charts long enough to make the money that they actually needed to make, right? When you don't have any discoverability on the platform, developers kind of opt for these kind of backhand tricks instead of actually building a better game, which is exactly the opposite of what you want. But either way, new platform, early adopters see signs of life, platform opens up, it gets flooded, and then everybody complains, right? There is very limited real estate on any shop, 
And I think um, all a shop and one platform can really do to delay that is, you know, increase the real estate, which is not what Nintendo has done, just to create more spaces in which players can actually find uh, the games that actually uh, excite them. And of course, incentivize those players to browse as deeply as possible into the shop. Uh, and right now, the, the eShop needs to do that. It needs more categories, sublists, curators, anything it can do. Because like even right now, if you want to go like find a racing game on the platform, it's nearly impossible, right? Um, you, you have to kind of hope that a news story pops up in the other tab um, to eventually go into the shop to find games that are high-quality racing games. Um, so really, right now, it's the only way you have discoverability is is working through first party and doing things like selected sales to actually increase your baseline discoverability. Um, but to be honest, I'm not really sure who's done a shop correctly. Like maybe Google and Steam are the closest, because like if you look at Steam, Steam has done the most it can for indies um, with things like the Q. I don't know if you're familiar with it which really just pushes completely random games, indie games on the platform. Um, but the reality is that like, if I'm gonna go and find, if I'm going to the store, I'm just trying to find what the latest and greatest is, right? Like I'm trying to find Fall Guys or whatever the new hotness is on the store. It's, it's pretty difficult uh, in any of these stores to actually find um, something new. And I think likely the result of a well-optimized shop is that actually indies get less sales rather than more. Because I think the reality is that optimizing for continued spend isn't always aligned with making sure that every single developer on the platform gets their spotlight. Uh, and I think that's kind of the, the difficulty with designing a shop. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, whenever I, I would say most of the purchases that I have made on the Switch have been um, uh, through me looking up a, a, a game on Google and then seeing what platforms it's available. And if it's on Switch, then I buy it because I'd rather have something that's portable than, than not. But, um, you know, I, I think just a simple solution here would just be like a recommended for you, just like look at what I've bought before. And based off that, you know, just look at the database and just surface things that I might be interested in. But I think over, you know, it's very obvious that Nintendo hasn't much experience with um, digital e-commerce. And so, you know, this is this is another kind of like um, symptom of that. Yeah, it just well, feels I mean, like Apple 2009, 2010, right? Where they were yeah, but, uh, again, I mean, it's just not where their priorities lie. Although, so part of the, part of the counter to my whole bullshit is that um, because part of the thesis on Nintendo for a lot of investors is their shift to digital, like it's going to require them to fix their store, right? It can't be just a destination for people to search for what they want. There has to be discovery. There has to be less friction. And it has to be more of a better, a better experience. So it could become a better, bigger strategy point for them down the line. <clears throat> but nothing has changed since the thing released almost in terms of improving. I guess some things have, I, I heard. But um, yeah, it's just, again, I guess what my whole point is when you talk about supporting platforms, you got to think about where their overall strategy lies and how that's going to filter down to the stores, right? Or to, you know, how they treat third parties going forward. You know, for Facebook, it was about abandoning games and going to advertising, right? That made total strategic sense for them. So, you know, buyer beware, move to mobile fast, right? Uh, at that time, you know, and so for Apple, it's like, they don't care about games. Let's move on to Google or let's find ways of doing HTML5 gaming. Let's do like, I don't, I don't know, dude. I don't know what you do outside of Apple. It's like they own so much of the market. So anyway, I just, that's kind of the point I want to make is think high level, um, 
when you start really doubling down on, on platforms. Is that all? Okay. I think that's it. All right, guys. All right. Until next week. Fare thee well. Bye. Worst, worst ending of podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> if my brain's totally, totally shot right now. I'm, I'm, my brain's running at 30 frames per second. Same, right same. Uh, you've all, well, that 144, that 144 megahertz monitor isn't going to help you then, Joe. <laughs> <laughs>